This podcast has language that some people may find offensive. You're listening to Opie and Anthony. On the virus. Serious XM. This is Shock Chocks, the rise and fall of Opie and Anthony. I'm Matt Provenzano. But enough of this palaver. Let's get the show on the road. Episode 2. They're having sex in a church. Here's an excerpt from Opie in 2016, more than 20 years after the Opie and Anthony show had started. The fact is, me and Anthony have not had a relationship since 1999. That is a fact. Uh, before that, from 94 to 99, we were like best friends. Uh, literally best friends. What happened in 1999 that caused the start of the rift between Opie and Anthony? Well, it was all because of a girl. When Opie and Anthony met, Anthony was married to a girl named Jennifer. Opie had a girlfriend named Sandy. Opie and Anthony were quickly becoming very close with each other, so the four of them were inseparable. They would go on double dates constantly, and it helped very much that Jennifer and Sandy got along very well. Anyone who is even slightly a fan of the ONA show knows that Anthony's marriage wasn't exactly a match made in heaven. Would you be sad if she died? I will be a thousand percent honest with you, no. I would not be sad. Anthony spoke very openly about how much he hated Jennifer, calling her all kinds of colorful names. Shut up, cunt. How could you look another bitch in the face and go, I do? Anthony and Jennifer were into the idea of threesomes. So one day on the ONA show, a girl named Melinda came in. She did the usual thing you do on the show. Show your boobs, do something graphic, make some sex noises, the whole nine. Melinda! Hello? Hi. Hi. What's up? How you doing? All right. Your mom was happy that you came down and spent seven minutes in a, in a closet with a complete stranger? No, she was happy that I came down and took my clothes off. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, so were we. <laughs> Why would your mom be happy at that? Because she knows I wanted to do it for a long time. Mm. Anthony loved her and took her right to his house where the three of them could have weekly threesomes. Anthony knew at this point that his feelings for Jennifer were pretty much nil, and he was quickly falling for Melinda. Keep in mind, at this time, Jennifer and Sandy, Opie's girlfriend, were still very close. So while Anthony was very openly cheating on his wife, she was complaining to Opie's girlfriend. This made Opie resent him and Melinda. Anthony began his ugly divorce in 1999. Now, Jennifer was out, and Melinda was here to stay. Melinda would come into the studio every once in a while to visit Anthony. Opie hated this. He wouldn't say hello, he would barely look her in the eye, he wouldn't even speak to Anthony. This naturally got under Anthony's skin. Opie and Anthony would do frequent remotes in bars and other places. These were events where they would have guests, meet fans, and do outrageous shock jock things. Anthony claims that Opie would actually bar Melinda from these events. Anthony was furious. But the thing is, during this time, they still had to do a radio show together. And they were doing fantastic. How are you, brother May? Very good. Very good today. Huh. Feeling good. Feeling good, yes. After our uh, rousing show yesterday. Wanna, wanna... You would never know on air that there was tension behind the scenes. In his book, Permanently Suspended, Anthony recalls a moment where him and Melinda were sitting in a hotel room while she was weeping in front of him, saying, why does he hate me? He doesn't look at me. He doesn't even say hello. Anthony finally raised the concern with Opie claiming it's directly insulting to him and his girlfriend. Opie apologized and completely accepted the blame. 
To this day, he admits it was his fault and that he handled it wrong. There was a, there was a girl around that, you know, I probably should have been nicer to. Uh, I know I apologized for that years later, that maybe it was too late. Try to explain what was going on uh, back then and uh, the atmosphere and uh, why I was really frustrated that, you know, she was always, always around and it made it harder and harder to try to work on the radio show. I, I know now I was wrong uh, and I did try to talk to him about that. I know I have apologized for that. Um, but, you know, maybe he never, maybe he never got past that. Anthony never truly got over it. And to an extent, neither did Opie. We were also trying to do a radio show, and she literally would just be in the studio the entire time, and we weren't talking anymore. And now I'm like, oh my God, now I'm competing on air just to talk to the guy to try to, you know, figure out what we were doing that day. And uh, I was, I was really frustrated by that. It got to the point where when the mics were off, they weren't even looking at each other. I just wanted to try to focus on doing a, a creative, funny, thought-provoking at times radio show. I was pushed into that position. And he could have certainly helped me with that, but he always just fucking chose to get the fuck out right after the show, not get involved. Opie felt uncomfortable. And after a few years of working together, he felt he had nothing more to say to Anthony. Me and I weren't talking at all. She was, she was always around. Maybe I, you know, unfairly took it out on her. Uh, and I called my agent. I said, I'm done. I'm leaving. And he's like, are you crazy? Do you understand what is about to happen? You guys are about to be syndicated around the country and you're about to become millionaires, officially become millionaires. I'm like, that's great. But I'm, I don't, I don't get, you know, I don't get along with the guy. You know, we're not talking. So Bob asked me, is there anything yeah, we could do to salvage this? And that's when I said, you know, there's this guy, Jim Norton. Jim Norton, the man who saved Opie and Anthony. And ironically, the man that was saved by Opie and Anthony. I never used profanity growing up. I wasn't allowed, because if I ever used profanity, my dad would drag me into the bathroom and wash out my mouth with a penis. <laughs> in the year 2000, Jim Norton was brought in by Andrew Dice Clay. Well, who's that guy now? What? That's superstar Jim Norton, the opening act. Oh, that's Jim. Yeah. Of course. Norton was unlike any other comedian that came on the show. Usually, a comedian would treat ONA as any other promotional gig. So they would get on, do their bit, and then leave. But Jim Norton was naturally funny. Holy! <laughs> if you're happy and you know it, have a stroke. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What is it, Dave? Ricky, Ricky, what is it? What are you doing? Christopher Reeve plays the piano better. <laughs> he instantly made the guys laugh. I like Jim Norton, man. Thank you. You like him, right? Yeah, he's hilarious. Yeah, very he's funny. He's messed up, but he's hilarious. He's the kind of funny where when the teacher turns around, he throws a paper ball. His comedy lied in the ability to be extraordinarily open on the air. What's your favorite video to jerk off to? And don't say you don't know. Mine is Taboo 2. It's incest. Go. Your turn. <laughs> Taboo. Um. He would openly talk about a bad date that he had with a transvestite. I was right around looking at trannies, and I was, uh -huh. I was looking at one, and I, I wasn't going to buy it. I just kept stopping. I was wearing glasses back then because I had the eye infection. Right. And I stopped, and the tranny walked over and snatched my glasses off and said, For wasting my time! <laughs> <laughs> and walked away, and I'm literally sitting there in my car, and a cop was riding by, 
And I actually high beamed and flashed the cop. And I'm like, I, the, and he came over and I'm like, she took my glasses. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing here? That's a guy. And I had to pretend I didn't know. I'm like, really? Oh, wow. <laughs> See, I didn't have my glasses on. Yeah. And then transition it into filthy potty humor. Jim is pissing in my oatmeal. He's, Jim is literally pissing into my oatmeal. I was half done. He just pissed into it. Jimmy just pulled his dick out and pissed into my oatmeal. It just had to be done. The oatmeal was mocking me, daring me to urinate on it. <laughs> and the audience loved him. I hate the art scene. If you stand in front of a painting for more than eight seconds, you're a douchebag. <laughs> the guys liked him so much that by the end of 2000, they offered him to come on the show three or four times a week. It mirrors how Anthony was introduced to the show six years prior. Now it wasn't just Opie and Anthony. It was Opie, Anthony, and Jim. And lightning was caught in a bottle for the second time. That canteen scene—he should have been fucking executed for that. The chemistry between the three of them was legendary in the early days. Anthony is watching a documentary "Gay in America" again. <laughs> the, 40th the Jim time. Norton story. <laughs> Been a battle all morning. Oh my god! I backed into that one with my cheeks spread. <laughs> it worked because they all had the same sense of humor, but different ways of expressing it. Opie would push the envelope just to make good radio. We got a a big star on the on the on the phone. Kristen Bell, the uh, the star of Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Kristen. Yes. Congratulations on the new movie. Are you excited? I'm so excited. Awesome. Anthony would go with the flow and riff even further. He would take the idea presented in the room and come up with a dozen jokes to make about it. Look Goodness, at the fucking nudity. body on this girl. I know. Imagine she was just taking a dump and walking across that white floor. It's stunning. Yeah, like a fucking pony. Who cares? I'd slip in it and roll around in it. <laughs> I'd rut. I'd rut in her shit. <laughs> and Jim would knock it out of the park. Salt water sucks. Salt water sucks. Fuck a big, dumb, worthless ocean. <laughs> it's like a giant pussy with, with, with saran wrap over it. <laughs> I'd like to take the ocean and scoop it off the earth and throw it into space. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Fucking worth. What does it do? It makes it hard to travel. A bunch of sharks. <laughs> ocean stinks. I love the ocean. Yeah? Have it in your living room. Don't see how much you like it. And they would all laugh. You know how awful it is to look in the ocean and go, I can't drink you, can I? The ocean goes, no, you can't. We set it up that way. Fucking cunt. It just taunts you. It taunts you. It, it just really taunts is you. a Not only was he a great new addition to the show, but he also made two great friends, getting very close to both Opie and Anthony at different points in the show's career. Norton was also involved in most of the show's more outrageous stunts. One example is the Voyeur bus, where they were inches away from getting fired. All right, Anthony, a lot of people freaking out about the teen Voyeur bus. Let's get some info out there, okay? The official route is we will head down Broadway. Yes, Broadway. Now, there you go. Down through Times Square, then through the Flatiron District, through the Village, Soho, Tribeca, making the way to City Hall and Wall Street. So we're just taking Broadway. The gag was that a huge bus with see-through windows would ride all throughout Manhattan, filled to the brim with naked teenage girls. They would all flash onlookers, and it was surprisingly legal to a certain extent. Opie and Anthony asked to have a connection with the bus, seeing it as a perfect fit to their style. 
So they put Jim Norton, Rick Delgado, and Louis Black, of all people, on the bus with the girls. The mayor of New York at the time, Rudy Giuliani, wasn't thrilled about this. When asked what he thought about the whole ordeal, he responded, stupid, just stupid, which only added fire to what the guys were trying to build. The crowd around it is amazing. I, I, you got to be a lunatic if you don't go out to Broadway and watch this thing come down because you're never going to see something like this again. Yeah, the border box is like Rocky in New York with all the people on after it. <laughs> How to get some of that music playing. Rocky, remember that? He was jogging down the street and he had all the whole crowd of people chasing him. That's hilarious. Yeah. As the bus was driving, it took a turn on 6th Avenue, which was surprisingly quiet for Manhattan. Suddenly, police cars and vans stop the bus cold and take everyone out. What no one told Opie and Anthony was that Bill Clinton, the president at the time, was visiting New York, and 6th Avenue was closed off for his arrival. Oops. We are on the back of a paddy wagon right now, headed to a police station. You're going to the police station? We're all getting arrested right now. Who's back there with you? Everybody. Louis Black, me, uh, the bus driver. Oh my god, we got Louis Black arrested. Oh my god, we got Lewis Black. Is he live on the air right now? Yeah, he's too neurotic for this. Everyone on the bus was arrested and put into booking. They all spent 27 hours in prison. Well, some women were topless, but their bus was not stopless. The cops stopped a bus promoting a radio show because some of the riders didn't have all of their clothes on. Well, the next stop was jail, and Christopher Jones reports those arrested are just now getting out 24 hours after it happened. But despite all of that, The Opie and Anthony show wasn't just a cesspool of daily wacky antics. They could also get real and show their human side. Listening to old episodes is like a time machine to see how people lived their lives and reacted to news at the time. A good example is the episode on September 11, 2001. Yeah, it's Opie and Anthony. And uh, I guess we don't have to tell anyone, but we might as well that uh, this is going to be a very different show today. They broadcasted out of Long Island since Manhattan was closed off. It's so interesting to hear those raw emotions just minutes after the largest terrorist attack on American soil. At uh, 9.15 this morning, I was, I was getting ready to go on a, a train to come into work to, to do our show today. From uh, Midtown Manhattan. And yeah. they completely shut down Manhattan where no one is allowed into the city, which is just yeah. unbelievable in itself. I mean, everyone knows what happened. Now it's all about revenge. Right. Whose ass do we kick right. about this? Because... Uh, I, I can't just sit by and, and, and think of all the other times that things have happened. And before you know it, weeks turn into months and you realize nothing happens. And, and you forget about it until the next time. This time, we need something huge. A response quick and, and so decisive and brutal to whoever did this that uh, they have to think twice about doing it again. Or they just plain don't exist anymore. They talk about revenge and how this is going to change us. Opie and Anthony, the two who made a career out of doing things like seeing how far a wiffle ball bat could fit up a woman's vagina, were now being incredibly open and honest. You and I have talked about this on our, our radio show. We said on uh, numerous occasions we're surprised that someone hasn't done it. Yeah, that no one has ever done that before. Just, a, just an, I'm not even talking about, about a terrorist attack. Just a nutcase in the area that wants to just, you know, yeah. end his life mm-hmm. and uh, do it, uh, you know, in style by crashing into one of these buildings. We talked about that recently on our show. I thought it was a joke, mm-hmm. and then sure enough, I'm just, you know, I start spinning around the dials to make sure it wasn't, and I couldn't believe it. This is. This is like our, 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 our worst fear here in New York. They took calls from people who were directly affected by the attacks. You should just kill anybody whose name you can't pronounce with a beard longer than two inches. Just pick a country. 
I don't care. Kill See? somebody. <laughs> See, I... this is the frustration that we're feeling, man. Oh, my God. I wanted to throw up when I saw it this morning. I just I just pray that in the next few days I, I don't have to attend a funeral and, and the same goes for everyone that's listening. I, I just well, I, I know, just think the odds are against it. But we've all yeah. been uh, personally affected by this. You'll yeah. you'll, you'll you, see you'll, you, you know people from high school, college, or anyone from yeah. the New York area. I mean, some way, unfortunately, you're going to know someone who was involved. They gave their side of it politically. A lot of the reasons we never um, responded quickly and really strong is. There's all that political bull crap you got to put up with. You know, you don't want to piss off this country or that one or this. I think this is big enough where uh, the politics of it is going to take a back seat to the sheer revenge of it. That we have to now respond in a way that, that will show these people. We're going to hit you tenfold. It was a really interesting time in the show's history. If you want to trip back to what it was like in that moment of time... Listen to their whole broadcast on 9-11. And then listen to the broadcast on 9-12. Day, day two. Day two, the day after, whatever you want to call it. But there are a lot of people that parked in the morning that are not coming back to their cars. Yeah. And that's when I, I, I completely lost it and it all just started making sense and it sunk in. Like, holy crap. Yeah. This really did happen. And I just had this feeling I needed, you know, I just needed to be in New York today. Just needed to, you know, because we felt so uh, detached yesterday from everything. Yeah, it was kind of weird being on Long Island trying to uh, talk about what's going on in the city when we're usually right here in the middle of Manhattan. Right. You hear confusion, hysteria, anger, awe, and they even crack an occasional joke. It's unfortunate that it takes stuff like this to keep us from yelling at people in the crosswalk when that light turns green in front of me. And normally if somebody tries to uh, cross that street... When the light's green, I, I'm on that horn. I got the window down. I'm screaming, you mother effer. But, uh, you know, today, yesterday, it just didn't seem all that important. And I, I can only hope for the time where I can get pissed off at stuff like that again. Opie and Anthony also had a contest called Sex for Sam. Fans of the show immediately know where this is going. But for those who don't, here's what went down. Sex for Sam was a contest to get different couples to have sex in public locations. They would narrow it down to five couples, send them loose in Manhattan, and have comedians and friends of the show tag along. Uh, it's, a, it's a rock and roll afternoon, gentlemen. That's all I can say as we are underneath a very nice poster of Lou Reed. Uh, I'm going to leave that up to your imagination, but they do serve great hamburgers, and I believe they do have a lunch special here. The Hard Rock Cafe. That's all I'm saying. Theme right. restaurant for 15 points. Any, any two-point right, conversion? You guys can stop. You guys can stop. They would call in the show to describe to Opie and Anthony what the couple was doing. Voss's team checking in again. We're, yes, Rich Voss. We're, we're on the run. We're just at Carnegie Hall on the stairs, right at Carnegie Hall here. That would be the Clam Bars from New York. It was like a football game. And that is 20 points. Was that a two-point conversion as well, Vaughn? No, no, they, they haven't done that yet. You saw how hard it was for them to do the regular conversion in the studio. For each act they would perform, they would get a series of points. The winners would get a chance to tour the Sam Adams Brewery. Well, in 2002, it was the third year of doing this. Contestants were given a list of landmarks in New York City to have sex in. The Empire State Building, Rockefeller Center, the Hard Rock Cafe. And all the way at the bottom of the list was church. Opie just wrote it there at the last minute, not intending for anyone to actually do it there. It was more of just a marketing stunt, so it would give them the opportunity to say locations include this, that, 
and a church. So we're getting ready for Sex, Sex for, for Sam. Sam. Oh, three. how great is this going to be? What's up, Stinky? What's up, guys? We got the three-hit combo right away in Central Park, five feet away from a hot dog vendor, and like six feet away from a homeless guy on a bench. Oh, my oh, wow. God. What a combo that is. <laughs> That's great. All Ten right. points for each one. Ben, what's going on? Guys, I am so in love with my couple this year. We are kicking ass. We hit a truck building, and then... They did it in front of a homeless guy in Central Park. We are kicking ass. What's up, Paul? We got him uh, right now on Fifth Avenue in front of a homeless guy and uh, getting a two-point conversion on top of it. Two-point conversion in front of the homeless guy is good for 12 points. All right. We have a cop about 20 feet away. Very nice. An hour into the broadcast, and Paul Mercurio, one of the couple's chaperones, calls in. Let's go to Paul and the Juicy Lips before we take a break. We're in St. Pat's, and he's doing the balloon knot inside, and a security guy is coming up to us right now. <laughs> okay. All right, all right, all right. Hey, come on, let him go. They're okay there. No, let him go. He was just looking for the restroom. That's all. Really? Really? No, no, no. Are you? I need to get the restroom. What's the problem? Come to the south side, please. They were in St. Patrick's Cathedral, one of the most prominent symbols of Catholicism in New York City. And they were doing the two-point conversion in the balloon knot, which for anyone who doesn't know what that means, it means getting fucked in the ass. All right, Paul. Oh, my God. 27 points, 25 points, a two-point conversion, and eternal damnation. We should be uh, allowed to just give him 200 extra points Oh, my God. They actually did it. Me and Opie looked at each other. We both had digital delay like the delay button uh seven second we had like a 30 second delay we both had buttons in front of us there was another guy in a locked room down the hall that had a button to dump out of because we were constantly doing shit that would have gotten fcc complaints so the boss installed these buttons everywhere well we both had our finger on it going like shit do we punch out of this it's hilarious guys fucking his girl in the ass at st pat's uh and neither of us hit the button and the guy down the hall didn't hit it we just went with it no one hit the button, and they ran with the bit. They call the cops. He's talking to six cops right now. They want to take all three to the station. If I pulled off all and the team. You would see that I'm swollen. This is 15 minutes of nonsense. And we, we left the church when we were told to leave. We walked down the sidewalk. He called that gentleman, and that gentleman came tearing down the sidewalk. Security guards were called. The cops were called. Paul Mercurio and the couple could have just said they're sorry and ran away. But Paul was a friend of the show, and he knew what good radio was. So, he argued with the cops. No, I'm not going to be quiet. I have a right to say whatever I want to say. Just because you have a blue jacket on with a patch on doesn't mean you have authority over me. When they give you a walkie-talkie, that doesn't mean to take away my constitutional rights. I don't understand what the basis is for detaining us then. If someone would like to tell me that, that'd be great. Anytime today. Now you see why nothing gets done. Well, if you're going to arrest them, arrest me then. What's the difference? I don't care. This is ridiculous. You don't want to take me because they're afraid to say anything, and you know that you guys are wrong. What happened, Paul? They took them in handcuffs and put them in a car. They're taking them to Midtown North. Oh, no. Our... <laughs> oh, one of our teams is arrested. All right, well, I'm going to go down. I'm going to take a cab over there to the precinct and we go down there with them. All right, Paul. All right. Okay. You hear that silence? That's the moment Opie and Anthony knew that this was not good. 
Oh, boy. Well, that's the first time one of our teams have, have ever been arrested. Opie and Anthony were in the news again. This is UPN 9 News. Tonight, sex at St. Pat's. A naked couple, a lewd act in the back of the church, and now sources say it was all part of a radio prank. A couple is in jail accused of having sex inside St. Patrick's Cathedral, apparently as part of a radio stunt. Well, it was supposed to be something of a stunt for a local radio station, but it wasn't very funny to New York police. A few days later, Opie, Anthony, and Jim went to lunch. Opie got a call from Bob Eatman, their agent, and he said to Opie, they canceled the show. Your show is canceled. But here's the thing. They had already signed a three-year deal with WNEW, and this happened at the end of the first year. So for two years, the guys still got paid a lot of money every week, but they were not allowed on air. For two years, they did nothing. Imagine two years of no responsibilities and a growing bank account, all for not doing a single thing. The first impression is to say that that sounds amazing, but these were shock jocks who reveled in having an audience. And now it was taken away from them. For two years, they just waited. And this was just another agent of the destruction of Opie and Anthony. Not the show, the relationship. They barely saw each other for those two years. They didn't have that constant daily interaction anymore. It was actually around this time that Opie and Jim became real friends, not just radio partners. Opie would later claim the WNEW years as the show's golden age. So, how would they get back on the air? Through satellite radio. At the time, it was considered radio jail, but they had no other option. In 2004, when their contract with WNEW expired, Opie and Anthony signed a contract at XM headquarters and they were back in business. It's the Opie and Anthony Show on XM Satellite Radio, Anthony. Yes, yes, uh, back after a short break. <laughs> we're finally back. My God. About two years worth of break. Ugh. But things were different this time. They were starting with a fraction of their original audience. It was almost as if they had to start from scratch all over again. And instead of afternoons, they would broadcast in the morning. I think being here is distracting for us. After two years, getting up this early, I gotta tell you, that was a little <laughs> distracting for me. What happened to us? I was used to rolling home at this hour, you know? <laughs> and, and, and just uh, being tanked. They couldn't name it Opie and Anthony. They were damaged goods, still known as the people who killed the mayor and had sex in a church. The company suggested the name High Voltage, but Opie and Anthony had a better name which stuck all the way to the end. You're listening to Opie and Anthony. On the virus. Serious XM. The yeah. ONA virus spreading across America. Thanks to XM Satellite Radio. Yes, yes, yes. The virus spreading across America. This is the term Opie and Anthony would use for the remainder of the show's lifespan. And it caught like wildfire. The virus was spreading. Next time on Shock Jocks, 
We'll talk about the dynamic between Opie, Anthony, and Jim. And we'll see how years of doing radio together have led to brawls with each other. The I'll, way I'll, I'll, start, I'll start recording everything I say so it's perfect for you, you No, I, but I'm, I'm going to react the what is appropriate when somebody speaks to me. And with other heavy hitters. Mash, are you topless? Would that be okay right now? Shock Jocks was created by me, Matt Provenzano. The music you are hearing was made by Brad Fry. The first part of the theme song is Gang With No Name by Tex-Mex from Director's Cuts. It can be found on ExtremeMusic.com. The second part of the theme song is Don't Stand Alone by Set It Free under Gas Can Music. The album artwork was created by Nick Balsamo. Thanks for listening.